world. Kids are sing, know Jesus and are singing Him, singing praises to Him, and we are celebrating that together and joining with them in praising Jesus together. So I invite you to, uh, we don't have the words on the screen, I invite you to um, smile a lot as the kids sing to encourage them, and uh, we're excited to worship together. So ushers, you can come, you, okay, we can get started. <laughs> Good, yeah. Good morning, new community. I don't know about you, but for me, just watching these kids reminds me of what scripture says. God called Abraham and blessed him, and he said, through you, all the nations of the earth 
will be blessed. Fast forward to Revelation. God opened the eyes of Apostle John and he saw every tribe, every tribe represented in heaven. I don't know what language will be spoken in heaven. I don't know. But I think what these kids did this morning is to model to us what heaven will look like. That every tribe will be represented in heaven. But I think for us serving new community, this is more closer to us because we are a multi-ethnic church. Thank you, Emily, for challenging us to live into our calling as a diverse community. I hope that you will be challenged to get to know someone that is different from you. Different from you. Okay, enough of that now. Uh, this morning we are glad to have our dear sister for the next two Sundays actually she'll be with us she's been attending here visiting with us but today is the first day she's bringing God's word to us uh, with me this morning is B uh, I will just save this second letter you will connect it uh, she's an ordained covenant pastor this is her 12th year as an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ she has served in three different states. Our own beloved state, Buffalo, and New York, uh, then in Kansas as well. For the past four years, she has served our denomination as the program and operations manager for Start and Strengthening Churches. In July of this year, she transitioned to a new role as the director of recruitment and admissions with our very own seminary, North Park Theological Seminary. For us here, we will know her. I had some people even this morning connecting her to her parents. Uh, Wendy and Dan. You may say, yeah. <laughs> B lives in the North Park area with the world's sweetest dog. Let me give you a plug in here. This past summer, she lost everything to fire. Everything she lost it to fire, except this dog. And from my understanding, she came home sick to take a nap. God is great. His wisdom is past funding. He can use sickness to save a dog. That is my interpretation. I might be wrong, but this is what I interpreted from her story. She came home sick from the office, only take, take a nap and suddenly there was a fire outbreak in the apartment and they lost everything and God used the sickness to save the sweetest dog. I hope to see this dog so that I will congratulate the dog. She's most passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Letting them know that God can use ordinary people to continue to do extraordinary things. Will you join me this morning in welcoming our dear sister, B. 
Okay, great. It's really good to be with you all. Um, I was really excited when I was getting ready this morning because I was, you know, getting ready and um, starting to prepare for the morning. And, I, and just by force of habit, I was about to put on my business suit. And then all of a sudden, I remembered that I was coming to New Community Covenant Church this morning. I don't think I've ever seen anybody preach here that wasn't wearing skinny jeans, so I figured, I figured I could wear my jean jacket this morning and I would feel right at home. So um, thank you, Pastor Zox, for that beautiful introduction. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Loving God, we thank you and praise you for uh, the privilege of worshiping together and for being in your presence. and. Um, we ask God that, um, that you will open all of our hearts and minds to receive um, not necessarily what I have to say, but what your Holy Spirit wants to communicate to the hearts of each and every person here. And uh, we pray this in your loving and precious name. Amen. So um, it's a delight to be invited to um, dive into God's word with you this morning. I was given some helpful suggestions, nothing required, but I was invited to um, consider using something from the readings that you all have been reading together as a church through the Immerse study um, as a guide for this morning's sermon, and same for next week too. And so I said, sure, you know, the Bible's a big uh, book, so some helpful way to narrow it down will be good for me too. And and so I sat down and kind of settled into the readings for this week and next week. And um, as soon as I did, I thought, Ugh, why did I say yes to be consigned to these readings? It was, like, um, it was like all of the law from the New Testament crammed into one week. We had um, some really confusing theology from Romans, and we had a whole bunch of uh, do's and don'ts from Colossians and from Ephesians and from Philemon. And, and um, you know, it's challenging enough to be a guest preacher, and then when you've got like a whole bunch of fire and brimstone to choose from, it just makes it that much more fun. And so, um, but I think um, our reading for this morning, which we'll get to in a few minutes, is kind of like a welcome breath of fresh air in the midst of some pretty intense readings that the church has been going through um, this morning. But before we get to our focused reading, let's kind of take a bird's eye view of what you've encountered in God's Word uh, over this past week. So uh, there are a lot of do's and don'ts that come up in these epistles from Paul that, uh, that we read over this this past week. And so for your convenience, I've uh, collated them here for you. And so we'll start with the do's. And uh, this is how Christians ought to live. Paul is teaching the, um, the churches in the Greco-Roman world how Christians ought to live. And so we are supposed to practice compassion. We are supposed to practice kindness. We are supposed to be patient and humble and loving and submissive 
and be grateful. Uh, we're supposed to be devoted to God and one another. We're supposed to be gentle and good and hopeful and praying and accepting and forgiving and to reconcile with one another. And in case that wasn't a tall enough order, um, there's also a lot of don'ts that I encountered in, in our readings for this morning. And so here are some of them. We are not to be filled with malice or to slander or to be overcome by rage. We're not to carouse or to be debaucherous. We're not to uh, engage in drunkenness or sexual immorality or lust of any kind or to have dissension or divisiveness among us or to be jealous or to practice deception or to be greedy or to have evil desires or to be judgmental or practice idolatry or to be overcome by anger or have any filthy or coarse language, any lying or any hostility. This was all found in the readings just for this week and next week. And so um, I was reflecting over these readings and I was, I was just kind of overwhelmed by the weight of the call that we have to live a holy life as followers of Jesus Christ. And I was also thinking about the Apostle Paul who wrote all of these words to the churches in the Greco-Roman world. And I, um, this may be a little sacrilegious, but uh, I don't work here, so you can always kick me out. Um, I like to think of the Apostle Paul as being like my most annoying friend. Like, you know that he wants the best for you, he only wants the best for you, and you know he's trying to help, but he's just sort of kind of annoying about it sometimes. So like, this is an example. Let's say you're, you're hanging out with a friend and you're about to crack open a delicious, cold, fizzy Diet Coke, and it just sounds so good. And then you look over at your friend and your friend's like, you know, studies show that all of the chemicals in that Diet Coke you're about to drink cause cancer in lab rats. And you're like, just let me drink my delicious, cold, fizzy can of chemicals, please, right? And we kind of encounter a little bit of that when we read the Pauline epistles, or at least I do. And so for me anyway, it's helpful to have some context to what we're reading. So we need to be reminded that these are letters, personal letters, that Paul addressed to early Greco-Roman churches, and that Paul's a lawman. I think we need to remember that about Paul. Paul is saved by grace, but his job prior to getting knocked off of his horse by Jesus, right, was to be a lawman. He was a Pharisee. He was the one that was responsible for teaching God's faithful how to live in obedience to God. And God radically changes his life and exposes to Paul his own sin, redeems him, brings him into relationship with Jesus, and then sends him out to the Gentile world to do 
Kind of the same thing he was doing before, but to share the good news of Jesus and to show people how to live in relationship to Christ. And not only that, Paul was sent out into the Greco-Roman Empire and all of the cities therein to plant churches, to raise people up in in a a knowledge of uh, who Jesus Christ is and to help usher them into relationship with him. And he's doing all of this in a culture that is polytheistic, that is idolatrous, and that has many disturbing ritual practices and cultural norms. So we don't have time to touch on all of them this morning, but human sacrifice, no problem in the Greco-Roman world. Um, The exploitation of children and youth, no problem. Temple prostitution was considered a religious practice in the Greco-Roman world. So he is entering a culture and a world that where the basic understanding of right and wrong according to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is just completely absent from that culture. And so Paul is called, given this sort of Herculean task of introducing people to the grace and love of Jesus Christ and also forming their moral law and their worldview in light of relationship with the one true God in a way that they'd never encountered or understood before. Most of the people that he was writing, all of the people that he was writing to were brand new Christians, most without any prior exposure to God's standard of right and wrong. And they were being taught how to live as Jesus followers in a culture that was antagonistic to their faith and their way of life. So that's kind of the background. So the question for me then that comes up is, okay, so um, I'm uh, raised in the church my whole life. I've been taught about Jesus since I was a child. Um, Does this holiness code still matter for us today? Does it still matter? Ought we still be shocked by the weight of Paul's teachings of how we're called to live as followers of Jesus Christ? And so let's just take a couple moments to reflect on that. Let's go back two slides to the do's and don'ts. And I invite you to just kind of scan through this list, if you can read it, and and to, to ask yourself in conversation with God on the left hand column. Which one or two, maybe more if you're me, but it just, if, just which one or two seem to be in scarce supply in your life these days? You don't have to answer out loud. You can, Carlton, but you don't have to. Um, and then on the right-hand side, which one or two really jump out at you as something that maybe you've been struggling with and that you've been wrestling with for a long time and that you just can't seem to get rid of in your life. Then let's go to the next slide. And I want you to think about the context of the world in which we live today and to ask ourselves, if we're really all that different from the first century world 
the Greco-Roman Empire. Seems to me that we live in a culture where maybe more than ever, since the early days of the church, right and wrong seem completely subjective. Everything's up for grabs. Nothing's taken for granted. When I look at that do's and don'ts list, I see so much of the right-hand side present on the news and my social media feed in our local community, sometimes even in our families. So does holiness still matter for us? And does holiness still matter to God? I think, yes, it matters. Moral law gives us a sort of fence or a boundary around our behavior and our relationships with one another. It lets us know when we're out of bounds. It can serve as a corrective. It can make us more aware of our need for God. But here's one thing I want to point out to you. Just before the reading that we're eventually going to get to, uh, Paul clearly states that the purpose of all of his moral teaching, his teaching of the law, has one purpose. It's not to earn salvation. It is not to gain God's favor. It is not to impress God. It is not to make ourselves worthy before him. It has one purpose, and it's this. It is so that we together, as Jesus followers, are, can be built together into a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit, and that that dwelling, that dwelling of God in us and among us would be a visible and public witness to the rulers and to the nations around us. In other words, that when people look at Jesus' followers, at his church, that they would be able to see, know, and experience that there is something different about these people because of who Jesus is and what he has done for, him, for them. That's it. That's the purpose of the moral law. You know, when I was... Um, pastoring a, a church um, in another state a few years ago. I, more than a few years ago, I was um, not in a good place personally. And I was not living right. That's an understatement. And I had some friends um, that I used to hang out with a lot of time when I wasn't, uh, when I wasn't pastoring. And um, one night, uh, we were at a party, some friends and I, and we'd had quite a bit to drink that night. And one of my friends turned to me and she said, I just love that you're a pastor. And I said, oh, that's sweet. Thank you. Uh, why is that? She said, because you're just like us. You're just like us. And I think what her intention was was to communicate that I was relatable and accessible and, um, you know, not some sort of holier-than-thou person. I worked really hard 
to not be holier than thou. I way overshot my target, okay? And so when she said that to me, it was like a knife to the heart. I didn't, I just said, oh, thank you. But inside I knew at that moment that I was failing because she couldn't tell any difference between me and anybody else. And it took me a couple more years after that and a little more pain and a little more suffering and a little more misery before I was ready to let God deal with me. Some of our typical responses when we're confronted with the moral law are up on the screen. Sometimes we obey and then we resent it. Think about the older son in the prodigal son parable who did everything right and didn't get any more blessing or honor or favor than his younger brother who screwed everything up. Sometimes we like to cherry pick. Well, this, yeah, I can do this one and I can do this one over here and I'll leave that one for somebody else. Sometimes we can bargain. I'm really good at this one personally. So God, I'm going to do this that and the other thing for you if you will just agree to leave me alone in this area, that area, and the other area. Sometimes we justify our behavior. Like, oh, well, we're saved by grace, so, you know, it's cool. Or, um, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or, you know, work in progress and shrug your shoulders. Sometimes we just outright rebel because we know we simply cannot cut the muster. And so it's like, why try? Why try? That's the place I was in when my friend said that to me. Like, this call to live holy is so hard, I just can't even do it. So I give up. And so then, like a gift, like a gift in the middle of all of this intense teaching that Paul is providing for the, the churches that he's nurturing and for you and me today, comes this reading from Ephesians. It's a prayer. And it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, what this prayer of Paul's communicates to me are three things. The first is it reminds me that I literally cannot achieve holiness by my own effort. Not possible. Not possible. Let's do a little exercise. Everybody close your eyes for a moment if you feel comfortable. You don't have to. Now I want you to not think about gummy bears. Don't think about them. I know they're chewy and they're kind of sweet and they're pretty good. You might not have had one for a while, but just don't think about them, okay? Do not think about gummy bears. All right, you can open your eyes. So how many people thought about gummy bears? Yeah, pretty much everybody, right? It's kind of how sin works. The more we struggle in our own effort to not do something, the more like quicksand it just pulls us right down into it. We literally cannot achieve holiness by our own effort. That's sort of the basic premise of the gospel. And yet, once we become Christians, I don't know if you're like me, I somehow got the idea that God could and would forgive any horrible sin that I had ever committed prior to becoming a Christian, but that somehow, magically, once I came to Christ, boom, all of a sudden I was expected to live like the super perfect and holy life and that I would be judged harshly by God and other people if I didn't. Anybody else somehow get that message somewhere along the line? Stop trying so hard. Stop trying so hard. You cannot achieve holiness by your own effort. Take it from somebody who has crashed and burned really, really bad. You can't. The more you work to earn God's favor or to try to impress him or please him, the further and further you're going to be sucked down in that quicksand. The source of life-changing power is the love of Jesus. Period. The source of life-changing power is the love of Christ. Period. 
When we get so preoccupied with our own sin and with our own imperfection that we either work overtime trying to achieve holiness or, on the other hand, just know we can't throw up our hands, give, a, give up, and run away from God. I've done both. Neither one of them was very successful. The more we try to do that, the further and further away we move from the heart of God. The source of life-changing power is the love of Jesus. That is it. It is available to you no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, no matter who you have been with. It is available to you all day, every day, all the time, wholly, completely, and unconditionally. I want you to turn to your neighbor and, and look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, Jesus is crazy about you. Jesus is crazy about you. I want you to turn to your other neighbor and say, no, really. Really, I mean it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much. His love is so wide that everybody is included, even you. Jesus' love is so long that it has no expiration date. It is for all time. Jesus' love is so high that there's no ceiling on it. There's no limit to what it can accomplish in and through you. And it's so deep that there's nowhere that you can sink that God's love won't be there. You are loved. You are accepted. You are forgiven. Not just one time, over and over and over and over again. And it's only that love that has the power to change us and to make us holy. And it doesn't happen in five minutes, and it doesn't happen in a day or a week or a month. The scriptures tell us that until the day God will carry out the good work he began in you to completion, until the day of Christ Jesus, he's going to keep working on you, in you, and through you until you take your last breath and get to go join him in paradise. Don't, in fear and shame, run from the only thing that can transform you in your life. Come to the one who loves you. Come to the one who loves you. Christ's love can do more in us than we could ever ask or imagine. Here's the paradox I've experienced in my own life. When I stopped trying so hard, and when I stopped running, and when I had the nerve in, in my guilt and my shame to come to Jesus and say, really, are you sure? Do you really love me? Because I feel like the biggest bag of you know what ever right now. Jesus said, I've been waiting for you. 
been waiting for you. Christ's love can do more in us than we could ever ask or imagine. So if you're struggling with something today, maybe an attitude of the heart, or an obsession of the mind, or a repetitive behavior that you know is not in line with God's best plan for you, one that you know is outside the fence of the moral law, so to speak, I would encourage you to stop trying so hard, to stop making excuses, to stop running, to stop hiding, to stop bargaining, and to stop resisting, and to simply dwell in the love of Jesus, the love he has for you right now, in this moment, without condition, and to let it begin to change you from the inside out. See, law might temporarily alter behavior, but what Jesus is after is our heart. Jesus is after our heart. It doesn't matter how bruised it is. It's beautiful to him. Next week when we come back together, we're going to dig into a few prayer practices that have been helpful to me as a way of dwelling in God's love more fully. Some practices that have allowed me to be open to the change that God wants to do in and through my life. But we'll get to that next week. This morning, I simply want you to know that Jesus loves you today, right now. Jesus loves you and me so much that while we were running from him, while we were hiding from him, while we were doing everything in our power to conceal our ugliness from him, he said, okay, I can see you're not going to come to me. That's okay. I'll come to you. And he took on human flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he showed us his restorative, powerful, gentle, gracious love. And he was even willing to die on a cross so that nothing ever again could separate us from that love. So with that, that's good news, isn't it? Yeah. So friends, Let's take a moment or two of silence before we come to the table. And I invite you to just have a moment with Jesus this morning. And if you have to ask him that question, really, are you sure? Then do it. Let his love surround you this morning.
Just let him come and be with you. Friends, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and the lover of our souls, invites us anew this morning to Holy Communion, through which he will give himself to us and lead us into a deeper fellowship with each other. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens,